Diocese of Churches for the Sake of Others is pleased to present the C4SO podcast, a place to celebrate the voices and values of C4SO. C4SO is a national diocese of the Anglican Church in North America, led by Bishop Todd Hunter. You can learn more about us at c4so.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome again to the C4SO podcast. I'm your host, Ben Sternke. I'm here with Bishop Todd Hunter again. Uh, how are you today, Todd? I am experiencing my weekly blessing to hang out with Ben <laughs> and a favorite guest. Yes, yes. Our favorite uh, guest, our only guest this time, uh, is Drew Henley. Uh, he'll introduce himself here in just a little bit. But we are uh, continuing today our series that is following the C4SO Reads Book for Lent, which is Prophetic Lament uh, by Soon Chan Ra. And uh, this is something that our Revelation 7-9 Task Force for Racial Diversity and Inclusion has organized for our diocese uh, and anyone else who wants to follow along. And today we continue that journey. We're right in the middle of the book here uh, with a conversation today with, um, as we said, the Reverend Drew Henley, who will be sharing some reflections from the third part of this book, uh, Lamentations 3. Welcome back to the C4SO podcast, Drew. Yeah, so good to be here. Um, yeah. It was fun to do this a month ago or so um, yes. with Pastor Leon, and good to be good to be back. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, it's good to have you back. Uh, if you haven't, uh, listeners, if you haven't um, heard that episode, uh, we interviewed uh, Leon and Drew, who are the regional co-deans for the South Southeast. Do I have that right? Mm-hmm. Yes, very good. And so uh, that was a fun uh, episode Only as well. So C four so is really bad at geography, uh, Ben, because the Southeast <laughs> goes from Brooklyn <laughs> to Pensacola. Right. Yeah. So just, I don't you know. know. Yeah. Southeast of all of North America. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Yes. There we go. There we go. Yeah. So maybe it means the bishop flunked geography or something. In <laughs> yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Well, I suppose you know you just uh, you sort of assign these regions, and then you know a church comes into C four so from Brooklyn, and so. Yeah. Oops. I don't know. It's got to go somewhere. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Very good. Um, Drew, uh, just in case our listeners are not uh, familiar with you and where you live, um, other than the fact that you are a regional codine, um, why don't you introduce yourself just a little bit, your family, uh, your context, um, what you get up to uh, in, a, in a given week? Yeah, I am uh, one of the priests at Redeemer Community Church, which is a... Anglican Church, uh, right in the heart of downtown Atlanta, uh, just on the west side of Atlanta. Um, we are uh, a multi-ethnic, um, kind of multi-socioeconomic uh, church. It's been planted, I guess it's about seven years ago. It'll be this year. This, this summer will be seven years. Um, and we, um, yeah, I, I, we, I share most of the leadership uh, with my other co-dean as well, uh, Pastor <laughs> Leon McKenzie. Uh, we get to yeah. do a lot of life together. And then I'm, yeah. I've got a wife and four kids, and my wife and my second oldest daughter it is their birthday today. So happy birthday to Diane and Evelyn. Uh, they've got a big day ahead of them uh, planned. So, so, yeah, we are uh, yeah enjoying life down here in Atlanta. Perfect. All right. Uh, well, that's great. Um, we'll put a link in the show notes. There's a lot more about um, uh, the the church and what it's like to co-lead together the deanery and the church uh, for um, for uh, Leon and Drew. And so we'll put a link to that uh, other episode in the show notes if you're interested in checking it out. That was um, a really illuminating interview. 
Um, but today we're focusing on this third section of the book uh, that we're reading together, Prophetic Lament, which is on Lamentations 3. There's uh, three chapters in here. Um, and one of the th- the place I wanted to start here, there's a video that you um, that C4SO put out with some of your reflections on this. Again, there'll be a link to that in the show notes if you want to check that out. Um, but in that video, Drew, you said that um, this section, reading through this section of the book, um, you felt both seen and challenged. And um, I don't know, something about that struck me that um, being seen and challenged at the same time um, that I think is a an experience that um, many of us need to grow into because I think a lot of times if we feel seen, we're used to that feeling sort of warm and fuzzy, like we're being affirmed, mm-hmm. you know, like, uh, oh, I see you. And then we feel affirmed and like, oh, that you're doing something good. But you, and then I think the experience of feeling challenged is oftentimes as- associated with a, with a feeling of shame, mm-hmm. right? So feeling challenged is like, you're doing something wrong, you're doing something bad. So it was interesting to me that you brought together something that we maybe associate with affirmation being seen and something we associate with shame being challenged, but you brought those together. Mm-hmm. Um, so this isn't directly about the content of the book, but I, I wondered, because I think, I think what I'm getting at here is that there is a, an emotional and spiritual capacity that we need to grow into that allows us to bear the tension of being seen and challenged at the same time. Um, so I don't know if you can talk a little bit about that experience. Um, yeah. Uh, or what that's yeah, yeah. like to feel seen and challenged <laughs> at the same no, time. I, I appreciate you, you naming that from that short video. Um, yeah. So is, that was specifically talking about chapter nine. So I was mm-hmm. in charge of kind of covering eight, nine, and 10. We're going to talk about eight, uh, I think in a few minutes when we kind of talk about structure of right. lamenting, but um, but yeah, the idea of um, being uh, challenged into living out what it means to lament, not just as an individual, but corporately, yeah. that's what I felt really seen and challenged. And that that understanding of being seen and challenged, I think about it um, kind of in connection with my most secure relationships. Uh, when I think about like mm-hmm. my best friends, my wife, my relationship with my mom or dad, my relationship with my kids, like those are relationships where I feel extremely secure and that they love me, they're for me, they care deeply about me, they see God at work in me, um, they'll affirm me um, when, you know, when, when they see me doing something well, but at the same time, they have the freedom to speak into my life uh, in mm-hmm. a way that they can, they can challenge, they can call out sin, they can uh, point out things that I am, um, yeah, shortcomings that I have or ways I'm not loving them or someone else well. But I think it's all in the context of a very secure, loving friendship. And mm-hmm. I think about that with my relationship with the Lord. And that like, the, in that the deeper that we understand the gospel, the deeper that sinks into kind of the core being of who we are, we don't doubt that he loves us deeply. Like, we don't mm-hmm. doubt, I mean, you know, we, we, you know, we, less than the doubt over time. He loves us deeply, he's for us, that he cares um, intimately for who we are and blessing us. While at the same time, like we read the scriptures and we we know he wants he wants us to continue to pursue holiness. He wants us to continue to pursue justice, continue to pursue mm-hmm. loving our neighbor and calls us out on our sin. And so there's mm-hmm. there is this 
idea, uh, and I think this is pervasive in all of life, kind of an either or, like either God's yeah. mad at you, he sees your sin, he's mad at you, or mm. he, he loves you immensely and let's not talk about sin. But mm. the tension of he sees you, he sees your sin, but he also loves you, like that's the gospel. Uh, the deeper <laughs> we understand that, yeah. the deeper we can be willing to be challenged, knowing it doesn't impact who we are at our core. Yeah. Yeah, that's really helpful. Um, I love how you just brought that. Uh, that is the gospel. Um, and um, I just, I, I guess I was struck by it because, as I said, I think reading something challenging like this book um, or even hearing, you know, there's a lot of, um, I, I think, challenge right now for, um, say, the, you know, the white church to be able to sort of reckon with um Racism, and and we're going to talk about this in just in a little bit here when we talk about corporate repentance. But um, but I think it's difficult that like we have to grow in our capacity in order to sort of bear the tension of okay, you are seen, you're known, you're loved, but you're also going to be challenged, and there's there's things here that, uh, to repent of. There's things to turn from, um, even in our um, lamenting and our repenting together. So yeah, yeah. I appreciate those thoughts. Yeah, I would just add to that. I think that that's um, where we as Christians, when we think about 2020 and into 2021 with kind of the racial reckoning that's going on in society, we as Christians should be uh, uniquely equipped to mm. lead in this. Um, mm. Because I, you can look at my life as a, a white male that grew up in the South, and there is no way for you to look at my life and say that racism has not touched it um, mm. and there has not impacted it. And, but as a, as an American or someone living right now, I'm, you know, there is a fear of like, Oh, if I, you know, admit that there's prejudice inside of my heart or racism, I'm nervous that I'm going to get, uh, you know, lambasted for mm. it. Um, but as a Christian, I can say, no, like I, I can be honest that I am deeply flawed and deeply impacted by my own sin as well as, you know, the sin yeah. around me. And, and I'm uniquely able to be honest about that. I yeah. think we are as Christians um, into where, and we're uniquely able to grant forgiveness and grace uh, yeah. when we see it in other people. Yeah. It's almost like uh, if we, if we really believe the gospel, uh, the opportunity to be wrong and repent is one of the best things we could do all day. You know, like that, that's, that's amazing. That would be amazing if I learned that I was wrong and I got an opportunity to repent. Well, I believe the gospel. So that, that would be an incredible opportunity for me today, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think that's really helpful. It's really important. I, not a lot of us, <laughs> I think, feel, feel like we live there, but um, like you said, Christian, as Christians, we should be uniquely able to repent uh, and be wrong uh, in public uh, just because that's that's what the whole gospel is. Um, so. Yeah, I think there's an intersection there of our thoughts, meaning sort of our theology. And by that, I don't mean professional theology. I just mean the way one thinks about God. Mm-hmm. There's an intersection there with our will. Because I think to pursue what you're talking mm-hmm. about, Ben, one must want to. Yes. Like you have mm-hmm. to really desire Christ-likeness. Otherwise, mm-hmm. it's not a, what you guys are saying. You're right. It's not at all intuitive. But mm. if one's sense of Christianity means that I'm seeking the transformation of my life into Christ-likeness, and that's one's genuine primary desire, then it's at least easier to do. Maybe it's not automatic, but it's at least yeah. easier to do, I think, what Drew's suggesting. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, 
I don't mean this as like a straw man, but if one sense of Christianity is just like simply, you know, going to heaven when you die, then that's yeah. not going to have the same thoughts attached to it. And, and it's not going to have the same set of someone's will to yeah. actually, mm-hmm. to actual desire what our prayer book would call amendment of life. Yes. Mm. Yes. So yeah. Or if your or if your sense of Christianity is like I have the right answers or I'm right yes. about things. Yeah, yeah. I, I have the correct articulation yeah. of, you know, uh, belief, something right. like that. Then then being wrong is actually a deep threat. Yeah. You yeah. can't you can't repent. So And I think um, it goes I listen oh sorry to interrupt you. Um, go ahead. but I I listened to last week's when Sandy was on um, mm-hmm. and loved that. And I think it goes back to what you guys were talking about last week and not to rehash all that, um, but the reality of like the idea of power. And yes. if I'm owning sin, um, especially publicly, like I am taking the risk that I'm going to lose power and influence. And yes. that's scary yeah. uh, as a leader. It's very scary. I don't want to minimize that. But at the same time, like if I, if I've separated my identity from my need for power, um, then I'm much more able to, openly be honest about my shortcomings. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And that, and that, to your point, uh, Todd, the getting back to our will means that we have to, we have to reckon with what do I actually, what do I actually want? You know, do I, do I just want to be right? Well, then your repentance is always going to be really hard for me. Uh, do I want to be transformed? Well, repentance is one of the best things that could happen to me. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Um, well, maybe, you know, uh, Bishop Todd, you talked about our prayer book, talking about amendment of life. Um, in chapter eight, it talks about uh, order and structure for lament. Um, it, it mentions how the book of Lamentations is structured. Uh, but then it also goes on to talk about how we need, we need, uh, essentially, I was, you know, reading into this like liturgy. We essentially need some way of structuring our lament um, in order to form and shape us into appropriate uh, and proper lament. So we need, we need liturgical resources, essentially, uh, in order to do this well. Um, and a lot of uh, the liturgical resources of the you know, predominant uh, expression of uh, church in America have to do with celebration rather than lament. And so it's sometimes difficult, I think, to find uh, some of these things. But I was just reflecting on uh, the fact that I think our Anglican tradition does give us some really good resources when it comes to lament, uh, because it, uh, it it came out of a, a time that preceded, you know, this kind of American individualism and uh, perhaps the focus on celebration and, you know, all of that kind of thing. So I don't know if either of you have any reflections on that. Like what, what gifts do does do what does the Anglican tradition have to offer us as people who want to learn how to lament? Drew, you're our guest. Far away. <laughs> what do you got? What do you I got, Drew? Bishop Todd, I will totally defer to you. <laughs> I know, but you're our guest. We're talking about the, <laughs> the, uh, the prayer book. But so, yeah, I think that this, the first thing that comes to mind is the beauty of the church calendar. Um, yeah. And so I think about this personally in that I am naturally wired as like a ready, shoot, aim sort of person. Like I, if there's any way to be more efficient or do something faster, like I am, you know, my like shoulders are constantly like bruised because I try to like cut the corner going through my house and like bang them on the side of the wall you know, just to save <laughs> oh, you mean a little literally. bit extra time. I thought literally that was a metaphor bruised. for something. Uh, no, no. Your, li- your shoulders are bruised because you're trying to cut corners 
Literally in your own house. Okay. <laughs> so when I think about, so when we get to Advent and, um, you know, right leading up to Christmas, my whole, our, our whole staff and church knows, like, I, I personally hate Advent. Like, it, like, <laughs> grinds against who I am, but I yeah. need it desperately. Mm-hmm. Like, I need to really think about waiting. I need to think about why it's hard for me to, like, do some digging, let the Holy Spirit just work on me to, like, ask, you know, as I'm asking the questions of, of like, what, what is it that I feel like I'm, I have to rush through life for? <clears throat> um, what am I trying to... Uh, grab hold of what am I? What idol am I? You know, clinging onto. And so I think about the same thing with lament. I mean, the season right now of Lent, as we are talking about sin and both our individual sin and the corporate sin around us uh, that we are both a part of and um, impacted by. It's an opportunity for us in this season to lean in to the idea of lament and something that is just not natural for us to talk about as Americans. Uh, so I, for one, just am grateful for the rhythms of the church calendar uh, that force us to talk about necessary things uh, that we may not uh, be naturally drawn to. Yes. Hey, everybody. Uh, Welcome. Once again, it's time for the C4SO Cycle of Prayer Spotlight, where we highlight the specific ministry we're praying for this week in our diocesan cycle of prayer. And this week, we're praying for Christ Church Mission in Mission, Kansas, led by the Reverend Dean Behrens. And he has joined us today to share briefly about what's going on and how we can pray specifically for them. Dean, welcome to the C4SO Cycle of Prayer Spotlight. Thank you, Ben. What is up, buddy? And hello hey. to everyone that's uh, that's listening. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I I wanted to share this real quick before we dive into yeah. our questions. Uh, I just, as I was doing a little bit of research uh, about the Christchurch Mission, I learned for the first time today that it's called Christchurch Mission because it's in Mission, that's Kansas, right. which it's is true. a suburb of Kansas City. I just assumed it was kind of a cool church name. You know, like, <laughs> Hopefully it's the, both. The Christ Church Mission. But no, it's Christ Church located in That's Mission, right. Kansas. Yeah. So That's anyway, right. uh, that was a fun little tidbit. I, I wondered if maybe our listeners uh, might also find that uh, a fun bit of trivia. Uh, right, the I next C4SO party you go to, uh, you can just yeah. throw that out. Did you know that Christ Church Mission is actually located in a town called Mission, That's Kansas? That's great. That's anyway, a great those of us outside point Kansas. at a party. Yeah. 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 So just bring that up. Uh, in between your jokes. <laughs> All right. Well, Dean, um, uh, as you think about the ministry um, that uh, y'all are involved in, can you share with us one thing that you're encouraged by right now? Yes. Yes. Okay. So uh, COVID numbers are actually super low in Kansas City right now. Mm. So we just had awesome. week three of in-person indoor services uh, after having not done that for a very long time, <laughs> about a mm. year, I guess. Wow. We did some outdoor stuff, but yeah. since, it's only been since Ash Wednesday that we've been indoors and in person. And of course, wow. we have many restrictions still. But sure. what am I encouraged by, Ben? It's that it has been a complete joy to worship oh, together. Oh. person again and so That's yeah awesome. we've had great engagement with that which has also been an encouragement that people are you know cautiously mm-hmm. but show, they're showing up you know yeah yeah and we actually yeah. like, after that in-person service we actually run to our laptops and then do a zoom service also for people who aren't comfortable with being in person yet yeah, yeah. um and it is a lot but it is it's just truly life-giving and i, I suspect that that's not where everyone is at 
who's listening yeah. to this, you know, that yeah, I know that sure. restrictions and cases are mm-hmm. different in different places, yeah. but man, it's where we're at and it's a joy. Yeah. And I guess that's a message to everybody listening. Like y'all will, you'll be there again someday. And that's right. This, yeah. it can't last forever, that's right? right? It that's can't right. last forever. It doesn't <laughs> seem like it. Yeah. That that's beautiful, man. I, I really appreciate hearing that. We're at a similar place where we just, just began resuming and it, it's just amazing. Uh, even with all these restrictions and you can only see a third of people's faces and, you know, everything, you can't touch each other. Like, even with all of that, it's such a joy uh, and a blessing to be together uh, to worship. So Absolutely. It's wonderful. So encouraging. Uh, all right. How about one challenge that you're facing right now? All this. Well, in light of that, uh, <laughs> it feels like a relaunch in a lot of ways. You know, like our volunteer teams are functionally non-existent (laughs) after a year. (laughs) Train everybody. Yeah, after this again. Yeah, Yeah. after a year of the church looking so different, we are a setup teardown church. So, like Mm. removing that, you know, there's a lot of people that make Sundays work. Just like Mm. getting our kids ministry volunteers, like reengaged, all that. It's Mm. a lot, and it. I wouldn't say that it feels like starting over, uh, but it feels like trying to start a car that's been sitting in the garage for like a year, you know, yeah. like it just yeah. is, it's taken yeah. a little, a little work. And so those ministries are so super important to us, but they take real people to actually run yes. them. And so it's yes. a bit of a, a rebuild for us in, yeah. in some ways. Okay. Yeah. Well, in light of all this, how can we be praying for you and for Christ church mission? Yeah, man. Thank you. Uh, here's what I'd like prayers for. I want this season to be like a relaunch for my church in more ways than just like the practical stuff. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm Mm -hmm. praying that this season, uh, that in this season we experience a relaunch in like missional ways too, you know, that God Mm -hmm. would really re spark our hearts to reach our community who has been through a lot, you know, It, it at least seems possible that people, who are far from God could possibly be open <laughs> to new ways of yeah. engaging with him as we emerge from the crazy mess of the last 12 months. And so, mm. so I want, I want my church and heck all see four SO churches to Amen. be a part of that, like hospitably mm. bringing the life of God's kingdom to those folks. And so, mm. so I wanted to, to be, yeah, I guess to relaunch in more ways than just the practical. Wonderful. Yeah, yeah that's great. I'll I'll take some of that as well. So if, if you get too many prayers, <laughs> I'll take the overflow. Is that how that works? No. <laughs> Great. Um, well, Dean, uh, thanks for joining us today, man. Yeah, man. I appreciate Thank being you, man. on the podcast. Yep. Appreciate uh, you. Listeners, if you would like to find out more about Christ Church Mission, which is located in Mission, Kansas, or contribute to their work, uh, check out the link in the show notes. Thanks again, <laughs> Dean. Peace. Peace, man. Yeah, and I hadn't actually thought about this much, uh, Ben, until reading the book and then the way you phrased the question. But it, actually, if you think about it, Anglicanism has some robust tools here. I mean, the daily offices mm-hmm. uh, lead us in confession every day, yeah. um, our weekly confession when we're gathered together for Eucharistic worship, yeah. um, many of the colics. I mean, like if someone's just wondering if you're listening, oh, yeah, if I like went and looked through the prayer book, where would I find some help in this? I'm just trying to give you that little list. There are colics that would help Mm -hmm. us there. 
Mm-hmm. And little plug, uh, one of our canon theologians, Scott McKnight, is just publishing a book on the colics, which I'm sure will be super mm. helpful oh, yeah. in this that. regard. That's great. Um, the Great Litany oh, yeah. is got some great sentences in mm-hmm. it that would help us lament. And then, of course, there are the occasional prayers. So if somebody's just like looking for a laundry list of where to look in the prayer book, there would be some places to look. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's really helpful. Um, and just, I mean, uh, yeah, that's, those are the things that I thought of as well, where um, if you just uh, are doing the daily office and then you have this mm-hmm. opportunity for um, lament, at least confession, you know, every single day, which is, you know, in a lot of those prayers, lament, I think, is part of the confession of sin. It's not just an admission that I have sinned, but there's a lament about that sin yes. uh, embedded in there. Like we're, we're sorry, and this that we we lament the fact that you know sin still is present uh, within us and still expressed through us. So mm-hmm. um, let's let's move on and talk a, a little bit more about chapter nine here, which is kind of the focus of your um, of your reflection, Drew. Uh, you you talk about um, Ra talking about the Jeremiah's role as the prophet where he doesn't focus on just himself individually and his own story, but that he embeds his story in the story of his community. So there's an identification that Jeremiah, the prophet, the presumed author of Lamentations, has with his community that allows him then to repent and lament on their behalf, sort of with them, even if he himself personally hasn't committed the sins that have led to exile and, you know, and everything that's being lamented there. Um, and so I, I wonder if you can just uh, reflect with us a little bit uh, on uh, what you see in there and the importance of that. And I think um, maybe also why it is that we struggle, I think, as American Christians to, for this to feel intuitive. I think an, our intuitive knee-jerk response oftentimes is to disidentify with other people who are doing bad things, right? And say, well, I, that's not me. You know, I, I didn't do that. And so it has nothing to do with me. But um, I don't know, compare and contrast that. And, and why is that important to kind of take the role of the prophet uh, that, that Jeremiah takes here in Lamentations? Yeah, yeah, that, that is, yeah, a great question. So I think, well, first of all, I want to say, like, I, though I think that there are aspects of American society that, um, we need to be honest about that are incongruent uh, or make it difficult for us to um, kind of live out this call in Jeremiah. Um, there are aspects of American society that I'm unbelievably grateful for and the freedoms that we have and all of that. Um, but also when we think about that chapter, chapter nine, um, all of this is personal and talking specifically Jeremiah uh, Ra talking about Jeremiah's willingness to kind of place himself in the story of his people. And like yeah. you said, like even if the things that, even if he wasn't personal sins, he committed him lamenting over that those sins. I think that's difficult for us. I mean, it, it sounds like, you know, a foreign concept when we read that. And that's the part where, you know, when I said I feel seen and challenged, there's a deep, a deep part of me. It's just like, what is going on? Like, how on earth do we live this out? And I do think we have to start by saying, why is this so weird to us? Um, but when we think about our society in America, it is very much built on individual rights. And though we are thankful for a lot of aspects of that, it does create kind of a hyper-individualized society that is, you know, uh, your houses are, you know, individually separated out into plots. You right. are, um, your bank accounts, I mean, you think 
about, we talk about this at church sometimes when we think about Acts 2 and that the church shared everything. And we ask the question, who does anyone outside of your family, outside of your spouse, know how much money you have? And the answer is always, I mean, I assume people are like, no, like that's yeah. private information. I would never share how much money I have or how much money I make. And it's like, why is that? Like, what is this hyper-individualistic, um, like what is causing this hyper-individualism in us? And I, and I think part of that's just the society we live in. And we've got to be able to recognize some of that is incongruent with our call towards Christian community. Um, and so mm-hmm. where it is separate doesn't mean that we, you know, are, are you know, saying, oh, we don't want to be Americans, we hate everything about America, but saying there are some parts that are incongruent with our call towards Christian community and what does it look like for us to lean in to that. And one of the aspects of it that feels very weird in America is to be able to say, I'm lamenting of corporate sin or the sin that I didn't actually commit, and I'm, I'm going to lament and name that in front of and with my community. Um, and so that. The, the model Jeremiah gives there uh, in chapter, the model Ra talks about uh, in chapter nine that Jeremiah gives is a beautiful model, though extremely challenging for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's, um, yeah, it is, it is challenging, um, but really, really important. And it's a big part of, I mean, really the whole book is uh, Ra trying to help us reckon with the fact of our need to lament, even if, you know, again, personally or individually, um, there's things that we would want to we would want to disidentify with. Um, but you know, he says that we have to we have to identify personal sin. That's actually that's that's an important part of it. But also structural sin that we are ourselves entangled with and and um, sort of part of, um, and then working towards uh, the renewal of those systems and structures, right, where sin has been embedded to cause harm, um, but also confessing that sin, right? Owning our complicity in maybe our active support of those things or maybe our passive allowance of them. Um, So I don't know if you have any words for us, Drew, or maybe Bishop Todd. Just how do we get there? How do we get to a place as churches, as Christians, where we we can uh, sort of learn how to confess corporate sin and for that to sort of be a, a meaningful uh, experience for us. Well, I might start with a story <clears throat> I thought as I was reviewing for this morning, and this is 30 years ago, but it's one of those stories, you know, that um, mm. I'll just never forget. So I was really young. If it was 30 years ago, I was 33, 34 years old, and I was speaking at the Vineyard Anaheim. You know, there's thousands of people there, and yeah. I don't know what I was speaking on. It must have been a Pauline passage. But I remember one of my friends who was a PhD student at the time at Fuller came up to me afterwards and he was a friend, he, you know, he wasn't being unkind, but he said, you know, Todd, um, virtually all those pronouns that you taught on tonight are plural and hmm. like you made it completely evangel- individualistic. Wow. And I've just never forgotten that. And it's just, hmm. it's what Drew's saying is so deep. Well, I can't speak for 300 million Americans, but it's certainly so deep in me. And I think a lot of sociologists and others would think that it's 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 deep in a lot of us. So yeah. my takeaway from this part of the chapter was <clears throat> I've tried to live my life as if everything is personal. <clears throat> so let me sh- say what I mean by that. Um, so if I've ever had to let anybody go, I would never say to them, now this isn't personal. It's merely budgetary. I see. 
Yeah. Or this isn't personal, it's ideological. All right, everything's personal. Like how do you impersonally fire somebody? Or, you know, how do yeah. you consciously decouple impersonally? You know, like, <laughs> oh, this isn't about you. I just want to break off the engagement. But it's not right, personal. Right. Yeah. So that's what I meant. I've tried to keep everything personal. But I've huh. learned in the last, I don't know, it feels like six months or a year ago, again, what I what was pointed out to me 30 years ago is that that kind of personalization of everything has a downside to it. I mean, the upside is, you know, like we just, we don't want to make things academic or we don't want to just have like depersonalized observations of things like racism or whatever we're talking about. Right. Um, we want to make it personal. But on the other hand, that move that um, Jeremiah makes in Lamentations of um, his personal lament gets tied to the community or the public um, lament. Yeah. Yeah, And so it goes from kind of a personal empathy mm -hmm. to a communal or public compassion. Mm. And that's been a big learning curve for me the last year or two is that, yeah, it's commendable that I try to keep everything personal, meaning I, I'm never just utilitarian towards people, or at least not right. in my right mind. But but that's limiting. I like I've really mm. learned a lot from this chapter and um, from Lamentations of, simultaneously keeping things personal, meaning like you love discrete individual people, mm -hmm. but there's also the community and the wider public. That was yeah. my challenge. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. I think that two things come to mind for me. One is that how we, as, as we care for people, as we shepherd people in our churches, how do we lead in a way that emphasizes community? I think about our worship director at Redeemer, uh, Rachel Jeanette DeBrew, and she she thinks a lot about this stuff, and she will shift words in our songs that are individual pronouns to plural pronouns, and where, mm -hmm. where it says where it was an I, it comes to a we, and it's and it changes the whole atmosphere. Sometimes we'll sing it, you know, one mm -hmm. stanza as as a uh, personal pronoun as, as I, and then we'll sing it again uh, using we. And it's it's powerful, and it shifts it to say, oh, we're connected to each other. Mm. And even when we think about, like, our spiritual growth, I mean, I um, kind of, when I became a Christian, every a lot of my personal holiness came down to my individual quiet times and my individual time with the Lord. And though mm -hmm. that is very important in our prayer closets, like, what does it look like for us to like read the scripture in community together to ask yeah. questions and be willing to engage as a community. Uh, so that's the first thing that came to mind. The second thing, and this is what Bishop Todd, uh, it kind of goes in line with what he's talking about. It like we won't lament if we do not get proximate to people who are hurting and the pain that they're experiencing. Um, if there are, yeah. you know, when we think about, um, like, for example, in Atlanta, uh, I was driving about two miles from our house and went under this bridge a month or two ago, and there was these, like, uh, concrete spikes that were all over the under part of the bridge. And I was like, well, that's kind of a cool, like, art design sort of thing. So I was talking to somebody else about it friend of mine at the church that works with folks who are experiencing homelessness. And I was like, Hey, like, this was kind of cool. Like what, you know, what'd you think about this? And he said, Oh, that was put in so that people don't, won't sleep under the bridge. Uh, and I was like, Oh, I, I didn't, I didn't see that. Um, yeah. But that proximity, but now I see that every time and I'm like, and it hurts. And I'm like, that's 
painful. And I have to do mm. some hard digging of like, how is my own sin of greed? And though I, you know, wouldn't say we're, you know, you know, extravagantly greedy people, there is greed in my heart. How does my sin of greed and how does the greed of our society impact those who are experiencing homelessness? And not that it's a simple solution. Uh, I I, I know and understand that, but there is a a connection uh, between Mm -hmm. the sin of society, uh, whether it's greed or a lack of empathy and the suffering of our brothers and sisters who are experiencing homelessness. And so that same conversation goes with you know, women who are, who are experiencing sexism or mm-hmm. um, the elderly uh, who are forgotten about and just kind of cast off because they don't contribute as much to society right. uh, and or especially with racism, something we've talked a lot about um, yeah. in, in our diocese. It, if we are not proximate to people of color who are experiencing racism, we are going to be so much slower to lament uh, and repent of that sin. Yeah, yeah. a couple reflections on what both of you guys have just said too. I mean, that, that strikes me as making it personal. Like, like, like you were talking about Bishop Todd, like the assumption is you move towards making it personal. Like you, you move towards the homeless, you know, with empathy, you move towards, you know, women or, or, you know, black indigenous people of color, you know, whoever it is, you move towards them, um, making this sort of issue that maybe for, for you didn't need to be personal you're making it personal yeah. Um, as uh, taking on that role, you know, the Jeremiah role of saying, I'm going to make this my problem um, because this is what we see Jesus doing. I mean, it's, this is the incarnation, right? This is the gospel. God made our problem his problem. Um, and, uh, and he came uh, toward us. So I think there's, uh, that's, that's one reflection that I have. Um, and the other one too is, you know, you talked about uh, repenting and lamenting uh, for, you know, for example, greed. And while there may be, you know, some, like you said, some greed in my heart, um, one of the other things that's been helpful for me is thinking like, whether or not there's greed in my heart or love of money in my heart, I am inextricably bound up in a unjust system, right? Like the, the fact that I have the money that I have is bound up in my history. It's bound up in the fact, you know, that I came from where I came from. It's bound, you know, and that, you know, I've got a loan at the bank for my house and, you know what I mean? All of this stuff where it's like, we're tangled up in this. We can't extract ourselves from it. Um, and there's no, like you said, it's really complicated and difficult to, you know, to, to think about that. But I think even that is, is, a it's helped me into lament because it feels like, oh man, what do I do about this? And that's exactly the point is we lament when we realize there's nothing we can do right now. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like what we, all we can do is cry out to God. All we can do is say, we're so sorry for this world that we've built that is unjust, you know, that even if I, as an individual, didn't have an explicit hand in planning this, you know, from a wicked heart, mm-hmm. I'm still caught up in it, right? I'm still participating in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and with, that's that's been something that we've invited when we do, for example, the, the confession of sin during the Eucharistic liturgy. That's something we invite our people into uh, meditating on. It's not just your personal sin. Don't just think, you know, did I yell at the kids this week? Or, you know, was I kind to, to my spouse every day? Like, don't just think of those things, but also think of the things that there's there's hardly anything for us to do about, or we don't know what to do about. Think of the things where we're just bound up in structures and systems that we don't know how to disentangle ourselves from. And let's confess mm-hmm. that and let's lament that together. Um, and that that's proved a I think a powerful way for us to 
identify, mm-hmm. I think, with the heart of God and, and to lament together as a, as a congregation and as a people. Amen. Yeah. Well, one last question um, for you, Drew. Um, I've been starting to ask our guests during this series about this, but what, what has lament looked like for you in this season and for your church? Um, are there specific practices or um, you know, things like that that you're engaging in that are helping you to lament in this season um, or your church to do so? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think that there's still room for us to grow. Let me say that from the front end. We have not mm-hmm. figured this out. And sure. um, yeah, it's an interesting conversation too as a, like a, a multi-ethnic church. And so mm-hmm. we... So as as a multi ethnic church, and we are we talk a good bit about race. I'm not not every Sunday, um, but we are. It's it's very much a, a topic that we don't shy away from. And mm-hmm. when we there's been as you all know with 2020, when there was uh, killings and shootings uh, of innocent yeah. black men and women, we as a church, our people are processing through that, and we would take those if it happened on a Tuesday or Wednesday, whether it was a George Floyd or Ahmaud Arbery. We would talk about that on Sunday and we would mm. just name mm-hmm. like this is like this is a brokenness in society. And then we would pray as a church. We would take a kind of a special time if yeah. there's something that's specific that needed to be lamented over. Mm. Um, but one one interesting thing that came up in our church uh, was probably I want to say it was May or early June kind of in there had been um, a killing at the Wendy's uh, not far from our church, about two miles away. Uh, and the Wendy's uh, it's burned down. It was a huge, huge issue for a long time. Um, it made national news. And I remember our, our, our staff meeting, which our staff is, you know, half white, half black, uh, or two, two white and four black. Uh, and we were talking about this and I brought up the idea. I was like, should we just take this Sunday and lament racial injustice? And one of our black staff members very kindly uh, looked at me and said, we, when he was talking about black people, we've been lamenting this for 30 years. Like, Maybe you, as white people, need to like do a little more lamenting of this. And he didn't mean it in a divisive way sure. at all. Uh, sure. He meant it in love, but it was really helpful for me to understand, like, oh, like this is this is a sensitive thing to process. Uh, like yeah. when we as men talk about, you know, the sin of sexism, like yeah. it's it, we need to be sensitive to understand, like, oh, like it's that's a conversation women have, are much further ahead than us and when i think about <laughs> yeah. our our you know our church having some folks that are um uh you know very low socioeconomic uh status yeah. like when we talk about the sin of greed and its impact on um, the difference you know the income uh disparity uh within our city like that's a sensitive t- subject to someone who is you know living off food stamps and government assistance and so yeah. what does that look like like maybe they've been lamenting that for 30 years and we are just now catching up so yeah. Yeah. it's a it's we need to be thoughtful in how we do this so that we are inclusive of where everyone is uh, yeah. and learning uh, and, and letting others who have been impacted by the injustices in this end yeah. Be, be willing to let them lead uh, those of us that have not been as impacted, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. That's really helpful. That's really helpful, Drew. Um, well, any uh, final words from you, Bishop Todd, before we close? <clears throat> well, I think my big takeaway from this set of chapters will be um, a needed simultaneity that I was thinking that, 
you know, Jesus was so deeply personal, you, you know, talking about heart and soul and how it's not the things exterior that pollute us, but the things that come from our heart and that we speak from the abundance of our heart. I mean, he was so just deeply, obviously personal. Mm-hmm. But simultaneously, thinking of the church, called for a oneness yeah. and called for a love, which means to will the good of our neighbor and our enemy. Mm. And I just think, I'm not smart enough, I'm not enough of a sociologist, anthropologist or something to understand where this comes from in America or why it's so hard from us for us. And maybe it's the whole developed world. But it feels to me we have a really hard time holding those two things together. And I saw in these three chapters just a beautiful sense again of Jeremiah's personal lament yeah. um, becoming a public good. Mm. Mm. And yeah. that feels hard for us. Like, right, like you have sort of activists, social justice activists, you know, and I mean that, uh-huh. I mean that neutrally, yeah. who don't really maybe care much about the personal parts of this. And then you have the sort of Christian tradition of, sort of mere personal piety. Now I know I'm caricaturing on both those. Sure, sure. But um, the caricatures work because they are sort of true. And I think for me, a big takeaway was Mm. like, how do I keep focusing on myself so that I'm a truly good person? You know, like the Kaiosune, you know, I'm a truly righteous person, but my righteousness is always for the good of others, that there's like a communal aspect to it. I think that's my big takeaway. Hmm. Well, we could nerd out on another podcast about how to tie those things together theologically yeah. because I think it has to do with the sacraments. Mm. So anyway, there's a there's a way of uh, sacramentally uh, living uh, yeah. in creation, doing justice, loving mercy, yeah. uh, and walking humbly uh, that I think we're we're all we're all aiming for. So I really appreciate that. Um, yeah, thank you, Drew. So great to have you. Really great to have you. Hey, Drew. thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, yeah I enjoyed it. Do you, do you guys mind if I close us with uh, another prayer from the Black Liturgies Project? Yes, please. All right. Let's, uh, let's close with this prayer. This, this speaks to some of the realities that we've been talking about today in terms of lament and allowing ourselves to feel the sadness of the state of the world right now. Let's pray. Tender God, some days our sadness feels too much to hold. It shackles us to our beds It colonizes even our deepest joys. Would you hold it with us? Would you let our beds be our restoration and not our guilt? Keep us from speaking those secret words of self-hatred that demand that we carry our pain in some other way, that tell us to conquer sadness instead of feeling it. Help us to be weak. That holy weakness that doesn't sneer at itself, but allows us to see that we are no less dignified because of our tears. Help us to be tender with ourselves, patient with those wounds which we can't seem to put words to. Guide us toward communities that don't force us to explain our sadness or or coerce us into expressing it in any particular way on any particular timeline. And as we do our best to live, grant us the resolve to care for our bodies, to use what strength we have to make small steps toward loving our bodies and minds as best we can. Amen. Amen.
Thank you, Ben. Thanks again, both of you. Uh, good to be with you. And uh, thanks for the conversation. This is great. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the C4SO podcast. We hope you enjoyed our conversation. Email us your thoughts and suggestions at connect at c4so.org.